Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up, BFW's weekly show where we cover all of the big news and events of the week. As always, Bayern Munich was heavily in the mix of the news, and it wasn't just transfer rumors. It wasn't just the results of last week's big win over FC Colm, where Bayern looked dominant. There was just a lot going on. Uh, the biggest thing that we saw this week was Robert Lewandowski being named FIFA's player, men's player of the year. And while the award itself was special and it is a good recognition of where Robert Lewandowski stands in the hierarchy of men's football in the world, I'll tell you, there was some disappointment to it. It had nothing to do with Lewandowski or Bayern Munich at all, it really had to do with Lionel Messi. Now, Messi is one of those immortals in the game that you cannot even criticize under any circumstance without his legions of fans uh, coming to uh, get you in en masse. So (laughs) we're going to take a run at looking at Lewandowski and Messi and what happened with uh, exactly how these votes went down. So Lewandowski obviously captured the award. But what really struck me as weak was that Messi voted for Neymar, Kylian Mbappe, and Kareem Benzema. Now, on the surface, they're all three. They're fine players. And, you know, maybe there wouldn't be anything wrong with that if Messi had not already come out during the Ballon d'Or mess and said that he felt like Lewandowski uh, deserved the award in 2020 and that Lewandowski obviously is a great player, blah, 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 all this nonsense. Uh, When Messi had a chance to do the right thing and vote for Lewandowski with this FIFA award, uh, he didn't. And it was weak. (laughs) Now, comparatively, we can look at Cristiano Ronaldo's votes where he voted Lewandowski first and Golo Conte second and Jorginho third. Now, of course, Ronaldo was not going to vote for Messi because of their unsaid rivalry or unsaid war, really, especially among their fans. And there's definitely some bitterness between Ronaldo and Messi when it comes to awards. So uh, it was just to me very interesting and frankly, very weak that Messi chose to leave Lewandowski off his ballot. Now, there are two ways to look at this. One, either Messi is extremely petty and insecure. It's possible. I mean, insecurity drives a lot of great players. Or uh, Messi has clowns working for him that filled this ballot out, which is another strong possibility because I'm not sure that I could actually picture Leo Messi sitting down with a ballot and really thinking hard and looking at statistics and filling it out. So for me, I'm not sure whether Messi did it or not. Regardless, it's just a weak look. Uh, Lewandowski, no doubt, If even if you don't think he was one at the top player, he had to be one of the top three. I mean, Kareem Benzema was on a Real Madrid squad that did nothing. Uh, Kylian Mbappe, again, like I'm not sure exactly what he did that was so great in 2021. He's a fine player. So is Neymar. But to me, it's absurd that you would list any of those three players over Lewandowski. So I thought it was extremely weak uh, that Messi would go down that road. And as usual, Lewandowski, he's a classy guy. He handled everything uh, in stride, honestly. And Lewandowski's statement was this. When he was asked about Messi's votes, uh, Lewandowski replied with this. With his choice, the question has to go to him. 
I didn't do anything wrong that he can be mad at me except sporting things. That was his choice. I have to respect that. Now, inside, you know that Robert Lewandowski is probably burning up because this was a professional diss in every sort of way. And it just shows how weak and insecure a lot of athletes are when it comes to their own greatness being challenged. Now, for Lewandowski, all this all this guy has wanted was some acceptance into this fraternity of great players. And it seems like the masses of fans, whether it be Ronaldo or Messi or whoever, Neymar, Mbappe, they always point to Lewandowski's dominance in the Bundesliga as if it's a detriment to his legacy. Like he shouldn't go out and dominate that. Or it's a shame that he does. Like there's no competition. Well, the news flashes there for everyone. Bayern Munich obviously won a Champions League title in 2020. Bayern Munich has been one of the great clubs in the sport year after year. They are always an impact player in the Champions League. And Robert Lewandowski has been at the center of that since his time at the club began. So for anyone to think that Lewandowski is out here poaching in a farmer's league, you're just blatantly wrong. And you probably need to, I don't know, grow up, (laughs) stop worshiping people like Messi and Ronaldo, and maybe have your own life or identity. There's nothing wrong with Robert Lewandowski and how he's performed. He's been a great dominant player. And I think he's he's been just as effective this season as he has been the past few seasons. And it would not shock me again if he continues at this rate that he gets dissed one more time. But hey, that's just the type of thing that's fueled him throughout his career. And I'm sure he will be using this as a fuel to his fire for the rest of the season. So weak look for Messi, very disappointing from him. Uh, Even if it's just a case where he voted for his friends, that's still weak. It's weak. And there's no other, there's really no better word to describe that. So with that, we'll transition over to another one of the week's big events. And that was the story that came out that Brazo would be re-upping his deal to remain a sporting director with Bayern Munich. On the surface, this is obviously a great move for the club. Brazo, by and large, has been successful. I've not always been the biggest proponent of him. His management style has uh, left a lot to be desired in terms of how he communicates and works with his uh, co-workers. Uh, And I'll tell you, uh, one thing that, that really bothered me was how he interacted with Flick and the fact that those two but it had so much that Flick ended up leaving the club. And I think with that, no matter what Brazo does, uh, his legacy is always going to be a little bit scarred. And let's face it, he's made some terrific moves. He's been excellent at retaining Bayern Munich's top talent. He's been, I mean, really, really superb at putting scouts in the right places to rebuild the youth system and stock it up with players who might legitimately have a chance to be good first team players, either at Bayern Munich or elsewhere. Uh, Sure. He's had some misses. There's no doubt about that. I mean, a lot of people will point to Bunasar and some others as some of his big misses, but uh, Brazo overall has done a good job. And even for someone who's not the biggest fan of him, like me, uh, you know, you have to acknowledge that he deserves this extension and that he's done a good enough job in keeping the team uh, stockpiled with talent And working with the coach now, maybe he's learned a little bit from his flick disaster uh, in incorporating the feedback and input from Julian Nagelsmann to make this a more collaborative environment. Uh, Just with Brazo, uh, I think one of the things that that really, I'm not going to say it turned me on him because I'm still a little bit critical of of how he handled things. I think it was a scar really to, to his legacy. 
But one of the things was seeing him uh, in the Byron documentary, which I'll talk about uh, in a little bit. I'm not quite finished it yet, but I'm about midway through. Uh, you know, seeing that if there is any sense of arrogance or cockiness, I didn't think it really rang through in that documentary. And that could all be an act, but it seemed like Razo might have been caught up in the moment. He might have been thinking there was a power power struggle that really wasn't there. Or maybe he was just trying to assert some kind of dominance over Flick in that corporate hierarchy that it is Bayern Munich. But um, we can acknowledge he made mistakes there, but we can also acknowledge that he's done some good things. And as much as I don't always agree with his moves or I don't agree with his management style, this is kind of a no-brainer for Bayern Munich in that they had to re-up him in this position and that he will uh, move forward and continue to help build the club and keep it going in the right direction. We'll see if that goes official, but things appear to be moving in the right direction. A couple of the other stories that came up this week, and they were transfer-related. Serge Gnabry looks like he will be the next Bayern Munich player to re-up his contract Looks like Gnabry will be making upwards of 15 million euro per season, somewhere in that neighborhood, which will put him in the upper echelon of the team. That's a lot of money to be spent out on the wings with Leroy Sané and Kingsley Coman. Uh, I was not sure if the deals with Sané, which obviously occurred a couple of seasons ago, and Coman, which just went down, if they would have any effect on the club standing with Gnabry. But I think given the injury history with all three players and the fact that each benefit from some amount of load management that Bayern Munich strongly feels that they need three capable starters at that position. If you're like me, you look at Jamal Musiala and you say there are four capable starters at that position. So I think that, um, you know, again, it's one of those no brainer moves. Uh, Gnabry, while he's probably the most inconsistent of the bunch at wing, uh, has the potential to be spectacular at times. And sure, like last week against Colm, he has those moments where he doesn't look so good. In fact, you could probably point at more down moments for Gnabry this season uh, than probably ever before. And, you know, my guy Phil Quinn has always been over, all over Gnabry on this. He's just inconsistent. He's got so much talent, but he does not always bring his best effort to the pitch. So, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he develops over the course of this next deal if it goes through. Um, I think everyone is fully expecting it. And should it go through, Bayern Munich will be set at that position. And when you look at the logistics of Bayern Munich's roster, it's it's hard to imagine that Julian Nagelsmann could change the formation when the team has so much money invested in the wing position. It would be hard for him to go away from a 4-2-3-1 uh, or any type of four three three or something like that, because I mean we all have had this conspiracy theory. At least I have that that Nagelsmann wants to use a back three, and whether that's a three four two one or three four one two or three five two, whatever the case, that would eliminate a need for wings. I, but I guess the good part with this quartet of wings at Bayern Munich is that they can all play a little more centrally. I think Sané has adapted really well in this hybrid formation and doing that. Musiala, obviously, is a natural attacking midfielder. Coman and Gnabry, um, I would say Coman is more the most natural wing that Bayern has. Gnabry can, can also float centrally, although I don't think he does quite as well in there. 
but this is a position that's stacked and it's going to be taken care of for a long time if Gnabry signs this deal. So when we start to see transfer rumors in the future, I think we'll be looking more at other positions than wing because who is going to break into that rotation and get any time uh, at this stage? I don't think anyone. So uh, the other big news that we saw this week, and this is kind of a developing story, is Bayern Munich's interest in Dennis Sicaria. Now, the interest has gone back a couple of seasons, right? Like we started seeing rumors last season about Bayern uh, having interest in Zakaria. Of course, a star at Borussia Mönchengladbach where he's done exceptionally well. He stands at six foot three, which makes him a very intriguing option for a couple of reasons. Uh, Bayern Munich, per the latest reports, doesn't only see him as a defensive midfielder, but also as a center back. And why this becomes interesting, because if Bayern was to make a move for Zakaria, this could signal the end of Nicolas Sula and potentially the end for Benjamin Pavar as well. Zakaria's presence would allow Bayern to have that flexible type of player that I think the club thought it was getting with Tangai and Nianzu. But uh, that hasn't worked out for Nianzu. He has not proven to be ready yet. And with the move for Zakaria, if it goes down, I think he could be a swing player that contributes at both spots. But I I would question if he actually wants to do that and if he's ready to accept such a role. We've already seen with Marcel Sabitzer how that goes when you take a starting caliber player, you know, a player some people might consider a star player and move him to what would be a rotational or reserve role. And it has not gone well for Sabitzer. I'd I'd be skeptical of how Zakaria would flourish in that type of role. I think he's uh, a player that would need to be on the field consistently and would need the assurance that he's going to play a lot. I don't know that Bayern Munich could do that, given the depth at the positions that he plays. And why I said this could affect Nicolas Sula and Benjamin Pavar is because with Zakaria, if he is a swing player, I think this would indicate that Nicolas Sula and the club don't feel like there's any way that they could come to an agreement because you don't bring in a player like Zakaria to play center back when you already have Luca Hernandez and Dio Upamakano and the aforementioned presence of Tange Nianzu. And you also have Pavar on the roster who wants to play center back. We'll touch on him in a second. So should this happen, and rumors are that Byron really wants to expedite this process and bring him in, it could mean bad things for both Sula and Pavar. Of course, Sula can leave on a free transfer, which is just god-awful business for Bayern Munich if that happens uh, after the season. Pavar has more time left on his deal, but has already stated he wants to move to center back. So if the club brings in Zakaria, it could mean that Pavar is either destined to stay at right back or that the club might be looking to sell him this summer. Uh, Zakaria obviously would, would occupy some time that would probably be allocated to Sula or Pavar otherwise. But uh, at this stage, it's safe to say that there will be a trickle down effect. The dominoes will absolutely fall if Bayern Munich goes through with this move. So how much will Zakaria cost? Well, he's a free transfer at the end of the season. So if you are of the fiscal responsibility mindset of, of getting a good player for a cheap deal, you could wait. Problem with waiting is there are several other clubs that are in line to bring him in. If Bayern Munich was going to compete to get him now, the rumor is that Gladbach wants 9 million euro, which sounds extremely affordable at this point for a club like Bayern Munich, even if you know that means spending 9 million when you might not have to. Uh, Bayern Munich, conversely, 
does not want to spend more than four and a half million on Zakaria per build. So if that's true, there seems to be a decent sized gap, but not one that's insurmountable between the two clubs. Another factor in this is that Zakaria is drawing interest from several other big clubs who might be more than willing to pay that nine million for a player of his caliber. Uh, those clubs include Manchester United, Juventus, Arsenal, FC Barcelona, and Borussia Dortmund. So if Zakaria is that attractive to Bayern Munich, they might actually have to pony up the money to get him. Because it, to me, it's hard to imagine that Manchester United, Barca, Arsenal, Juventus, or Dortmund wouldn't just pay the $9 million to bring him in. And while that might seem steep in a market where not all clubs are flourishing financially, he could be a key game-changing player for several of these clubs. It strikes me as a little odd with Barcelona because I think they've got so many young midfielders in the mix and a couple of stable veterans there that it it makes it hard to imagine they'd want to add more to a position they might not necessarily need. Manchester United, of course, is, uh, you know, they're in the middle of a roster transition under Ralph Ragnick. So who knows what will happen there. And Dortmund, again, they are another club that, that is kind of in a roster transition. I would guess they're going to have some, some significant exits in the midfield after this season. So a player like Zakaria would be a good fit there and probably be able to fill a role and start and play a whole hell of a lot. So I don't know that Bayern Munich is the best fit for Zakaria, but it might be the most attractive and stable of the clubs interested in him. So we will definitely be following that one. We'll see how it shakes out, but I don't know, Bayern Munich fans, would you be willing to let Nicholas Sula go to bring in Dennis Sicaria? And for as much as I think Sicaria is a good player and that he would probably fill a decent role, I'm still I'm still sold on Sula. I think he is a foundational center back for this team and that the club should do everything they can to retain him. In the end, this is the ball is in Sula's court though, right? So If he wants to stay, it seems like Bayern Munich has some wiggle room to make a deal work with him, barring him wanting some insane number, which it doesn't seem like is the case. The latest numbers we saw were somewhere in the 10 to 12 million range, which would seemingly be about where a starting caliber star international center back would be paid. So we'll see what happens. I'm not so sure that uh, this Sakari move will happen, but if it does, I do think Nicholas Sula will be plying his trade in the Premier League in the 2022-2023 season. So at this point, I usually touch on a couple of things that I'm doing outside of the blog, and uh, typically we look at some of the shows that I'm watching via cable or streaming services. And I have been woefully behind on this. I'm halfway through, as I said, the Bayern Munich documentary, and I have been 100% uh, enthralled with this. And and I'm kind of captured by it because the behind the scenes footage and the conversations we're seeing, I think, are so excellent. Uh, We're getting such a good insight into some of these players. I did not think Leon Gretzka would have as vital of a role in this documentary as he has. He's been a pretty prominent figure. But being able to see things like David Alaba's exit and some of his thoughts about what was going on at the time, uh, Hansi Flick and a lot of the just nonverbal interactions he had with Brazo, the way that they pass each other without really making any eye contact, you can tell that there was some legitimate heat between the two men. 
And uh, it all makes sense in watching this. You get to see the good and the bad and everything from that 2020 to 2021 season where, you know, we had so much hope and so much expectation because the team was so good and they had such a good roster and things just fell apart at the wrong time due to injuries and disagreements internally. And it's kind of sad because you can see how much the players responded to Hansi Flick and how much they liked him. And you got to see his management style and how he interacted and how he communicated. And you can see why it was so effective. Now, the one thing I will tell you, and I, I got to thank RLD for this, because he gave me the tip to watch this with subtitles and don't use the English language dubbing. So I wanted to see why it was so different. So I tried a little bit of both and RLD was 100% right. Using the subtitles and hearing the Byron players and, and management personnel, their voices was so much more effective than the English dubbed over uh, voiceovers. It was, it, to me, that was driving me crazy. It actually was taking away from the experience. So it was much better to hear the German language and use the subtitles to really get a feel for what was going on and get the tone of the, the conversations and the talking correctly. Uh, with the English language dubbed over, I feel like the voiceover actors missed the tone of a lot of conversations and everything just seemed uh, not specific to what the, what the players were saying or how they were saying it. So if you're late to the party like I was and you're going to check that out, then uh, definitely use German language and use the subtitles. So that will help you out and enhance your viewing experience. I have not caught up on Boba Fett yet, so I'm a loser on that. I have uh, also fallen woefully behind on some other things uh, <laughs> that I should be watching right now. Uh, you know, especially with Ozark kicking off uh, on Friday, I am definitely just so far behind in everything. I haven't gotten to Cobra Kai yet. It's just, uh, I'm dragging ass, quite frankly. Uh, by the time I get ready for bed, I've been so tired of late that I have not been able to even power through like half hour sessions of some of these shows. So I'm a slacker, essentially. I think I'm maybe I'm working too hard at this point. I don't know. Maybe I need to take a step back from some things and uh, get my energy back in order. But it's pretty sad when you're too tired to watch TV. <laughs> so I guess that's where I'm at. I'm mentally exhausted. Uh, and can't uh, power up at the end of the day to, to really let my brain be entertained uh, by Cobra Kai or any of the other shows that I watch. And I'll say too that uh, I guess next month that The Walking Dead will be coming back. And of course, like I have such a hate relationship with this show because I liked it when it started and I have been hate watching it for about the last four to five seasons. It has not been good. And uh as much as I like the original concept and the characters, uh, the show really went off the rails for seasons now. I mean, this has been a long time, but I will finish it out because I feel like I owe it to myself. It's probably part of the reason I have been uh, unable to ramp myself up to get reinvested in Cobra Kai. But I, I assure you, I will do that because it is one of my favorite shows and I've loved every season of that. So I've got a lot of TV watching to do, not a lot of time to do it. So eventually it will get done, but highly recommend the Byron documentary. I'll give you my full thoughts on it next week when I finish it, but definitely check it out. If you have not, you're missing something really, really good and something that will give you a lot of excellent insight into that particular season and what was going on. 
With that, we'll wrap things up. Of course, Bayern Munich will be playing Hertha Berlin this week, and that should be a fun match. I think Bayern is going to roll Hertha. I predicted a 4-0 victory in the preview show. You should check that out. But if not, you can always hit me up on Twitter at The Barrel Blog. I'd love some interactions. You can give me your recommendations for anything that maybe I should be watching and tell me why I'm wrong on some of the stuff that I say. Uh, You can also get our site at Bavarian FB Works. You can get Tom at Tommy Adam 71. You can get Jake at Jefferson Fenner. And you can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN. Thanks again for listening. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the match. And we will see you next time.